Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm Robin. And I'm John. Together, we research and break down complex and even controversial topics facing our society. We always aim to bring you honest analysis backed by research to skew our bias toward what can be factually supported and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human, we have blind spots and biases, and they will show through. However, our goal isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to build a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that we can address them together. Uh, we talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. Uh, but we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way people have hard conversations. And we think we can do that using research and discussion to create a common understanding. And since you are here, we hope you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. doesn't even have lyrics it doesn't nope Uh, but we will put it on the fireside playlist uh so that you can enjoy dance macabre from camille i'm not even gonna try french is so hard for me i don't even know if it's french i don't saints saint saints saint saints i don't somebody out there is having an aneurysm as we butcher this guy's name Sorry. And yeah, I, I do. I truly apologize. But listen, we are what we are. And what we are is Americans from the Midwest. <laughs> True story. We, we don't even have the French in our own state right. Okay? We pronounce it yeah. Versailles. There's a city called Versailles God. or spelled like it's Versailles, but it's Versailles. Mm-hmm. Don't it ask for It is 100%. Yeah, my high school orchestra teacher was a phenomenal woman, but even she did not try to say that name. She just used the name of the piece to indicate what we were playing. So, yeah. We try, but... We do. This time it's just not going to happen. Just not. It's not. But that's okay. It is. Okay. So, uh, what are we actually talking about this week? Real episode. We are... This week we are super excited because we get to combine both a From the Headlines episode and a listener question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Last week, oh, go for it. Oh, no. Say no, words. No, no. I, was, okay. I have no words to say. I was just agreeing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so last week, a brand new listener named Linda reached out to us to share her appreciation for our episode on filter bubbles. And she closed her note by saying... I look forward to listening more. I especially want to listen to a podcast, though, of why you think the election was not fraud, especially going to bed election night at 2 a.m. knowing that Trump was winning and waking up at 5 o'clock a.m. to see that Biden won. Please inform me or refer me to an episode regarding the election. So being the good stewards of our listening public that we are, we responded to her right away pointing her to a few episodes where we had discussed the election and various aspects of what happened. Mm. But we didn't have a singular episode that we could point her to that explained in detail why we believe that the election results were valid. So we're going to change that today. Boom. Yeah. 
again, this is from the headlines episode. So we're going to keep this fairly top level. We're going to give you a good overview of the main arguments that folks are making about the election being stolen. Uh, we're going to touch on some of the, um, nope, we're not going to touch on the lawsuit. No, we're I didn't not, change that. We, that was, that was too big a thread to, to tug. Um, okay. I started That's that okay, research I'll... and there's just, I mean, I, last I checked, there were like 62 federal lawsuits and 61 of them had been, uh, like rejected or closed. Um, and the 62nd one had been decided, but it was very, very minor. Um, and it, it was in Trump's favor, but it, it was like a, it wasn't about fraud. It was like a process thing. If I remember correctly, hmm. it, like I said, pretty minor, but there are like hundreds of state and local level ones. And almost all of those are also getting, um, ejected and so <laughs> i found one source that said like cases being decided in favor of trump out of like the hundreds that have been filed were like somewhere in the eight percent range and again it's these cases are not like oh the election was stolen or it was fraud it was it's more like oh uh we had an error in how we marked the like we had a clerical error in how we received mm -hmm. certain elections um that were still valid we just recorded them in a way that made it harder for uh accountability that sort of thing um so yeah they were decided but again we'll get into it later but nothing that was like damning aha the election yeah. has been stolen Exactly. Um, yeah. So we'll give you a good overview of the main arguments that folks are making about the election being stolen. And then we'll talk about the evidence that we feel like uh, validates the election results on their own and um, and points to the fact that there really is no steal to stop. Right. We're going to give you as many tools as we possibly can to help you make your own informed decision. Um, but as always, our sources are listed in our show notes, so you can follow up anywhere that you want more information. Um, and it feels really important before we get into the meat of this episode to reinforce that line from our opener that says we aren't trying to convince you to think a certain way. Um, even though it might seem as though all the information we present comes down on one side of the issue, um, we we're, we are doing everything we can to give you the best and most most truthful information we can find. Um, we really don't care what party you are. We don't care if you're Republican or Democrat or Independent or Libertarian, whatever. Um, and if you're listening to this because you genuinely wonder if the 2020 election was stolen, we're not judging you for that. Um, we are very glad that you're here. And we're glad that you're looking for the truth. We respect your right to make your own decisions. Um, we just want you to make those decisions based on real truthful information. And we are doing our best to provide that um, in a way that we hope is easy to, easy to digest and transparent. We... Uh, I'll say this at the top of the episode in case, in case you don't make it to the end. I just want you to know, like we publish our show notes, 
um, at the same time that we release the podcast. So you can go to our website and you can find sources for everything that we're referencing and referring to. Uh, Follow along if you want to. There's a sort of pseudo script that gets put up at the same time. It's not exact, but it's kind of close. Um, So yeah, if you're here, welcome. We are very happy you're here. We're very happy we had this question. We definitely understand where some of those concerns come from. Uh, and we'll, we'll address as much as we can in the next hour or so, or a little less than an hour. Uh, so, all right. Are you ready? Yes, let's do this. It's I, I, Captain is the appropriate response, oh. Robin. I, I, Captain. Let's start... <laughs> Now I want to sing it like the SpongeBob star song. Uh, <laughs> let's start with the primary claims folks are making about the election being stolen. Sure. In November 2020, a poll by Monmouth University revealed that 32% of Americans believed that Joe Biden, well, Americans polled, believed that Joe Biden was president solely because of voter fraud. That same poll, repeated in January and March, showed that the numbers held strong nearly one-third of Americans believe that widespread fraud, rather than the will of the people, determined the outcome of our election. Election results in all 50 states, even the most contentious, were certified. Official electoral votes were cast and accepted. The Department of Homeland Security called this the most secure election ever. So what is it that makes so many people believe that the election was stolen? One of the primary arguments is that something must have happened overnight from November 3rd to November 4th to flip the clear lead from Trump to Biden. Stories about what might have happened range from ballots hidden under tables to truckloads of votes dropped off in the middle of the night to software that racked up votes for the wrong candidate or the right candidate, quote unquote. (laughs) Um, sarcasm, please. Uh, other claims of fraud included um, unmaintained voter rolls, people voting for dead people, out-of-state voters. Uh, there's a lot. Honestly, the, the, like the list of claims is very long and can get very interesting depending on the sources you're looking into. Uh, but they all revolve around this idea that the idea of a Biden presidency was so off-putting to a majority of Americans that the only way, the only way that he could have won the election is through fraud. Yeah. But what these arguments forget to take into account is that a wide variety of reputable sources predicted that Biden would win. They made these predictions based on pre-election polling data and complicated mathematical models that account for years of historical data, not on opinion or more predication. The Economist forecasted that a 97% chance that Biden would win the electoral vote and a 99% chance that he would win the popular vote. 538 politics gave Biden a 9 in 10 chance of winning. The outcome of the election seemed only to be surprising to those that were keyed in to a Trump victory. And, unsurprisingly, those are the folks who are still insisting that the election was a fraud. But is there any indication, after a year of looking now, that fraud was a factor? I mean, well, we're here to chat about why we don't believe that the 2020 presidential election was stolen. Yeah. So. And something 
that I want to talk about right now, because I don't think we actually have a section in it, but, um, and correct and stop me if you've mentioned this later, because we worked on different sections in this, uh, to the, to the audience. We don't collaborate the whole way through. We kind of do our own homework and mash it together in a Frankenstein of a script later. Um, (laughs) so a lot of this, a lot of the belief, um, people believe in good faith because their information diet going into the election was very one-dimensional. That is true. You, if you, especially if you were a Trump voting Republican, you tended to get your information from Fox, from OANN, from similar, similarly themed networks um, mm-hmm. from Trump himself, from Trump's, I think he still had his Twitter at this point. Yeah. He didn't lose that yeah. until after the January 6th fiasco, if I recall. Um, yeah. so it, it's no small wonder that a bunch of people were convinced of this. Uh, there was especially, I, I remember quite a, uh, line of logic, a, a popular one that talked about, uh, how, tr- Trump's rallies were always packed and there were always people Mm -hmm. like a lot of people in there, but Biden's never were. And how could somebody who never turned out an audience win a popular election? Right. Um, Which I understand. I understand that, but you have to understand also that there are a lot of other things going on in the background for those, those rally audiences. The campaigns had different approaches to how mm-hmm. they were going to do a rally. And that's why the optics were different. Biden yes. very explicitly, his team very explicitly set out to uh, have a different style, a different energy at his rallies than Trump did. They didn't yeah. And want- they, they intentionally had far fewer of them because we were in the middle of a pandemic. And so they only had them in places and at times when they could keep people distanced and safe and follow all the appropriate protocols. Hmm. Yeah. Um, which is very wild to think about too. Like my brain doesn't want to accept that that was also like the pandemic was also going on back then. Right. But it was like, that is how long we've been dealing with the pandemic as well. And believe you me, dear listener, we are just as tired of this thing as you are. So just a real quick mid-episode bump that, that might get people to turn this <laughs> yes. off. But please go get your shot. If you have worries about the shot, we have episodes about that that can address those. Exactly. Please wear your mask, especially with this Omicron variant. They do work. The Omicron variant is much more contagious than everything else. So we're going to see improved transmissibility from everything that I understand. We're going to see numbers go up. Um, yep. And don't believe the headlines that it's not as deadly as prior variants. We don't know that yet. We don't know. Right. It's too soon. It is a speculation. It is a hypothesis, but it is not confirmed yet. So do not act as if that is a fact. Okay, let's right. wait until we get more data on that. I just want to yeah. bump that right now. So back into what we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> yeah, the the... The Biden campaign overall had a very different plot, a very different uh, Mm -hmm. plan for how they did it. And so the illusion of a lack of enthusiasm for Biden was perpetuated by people who had an interest in 
and, and willing that to be true. Um, and by the very facts around the rallies themselves, that they were built, <laughs> built different, um, but they were right. built to keep crowds thin and sparse. So it was a plan. And yeah, it was risky. It was risky. It made things look questionable for Biden. Totally, totally agree on that. <laughs> yeah. That made things look real shifty. Yeah. Uh, but that's like, that's a good point. And that's um, that a lot of a lot of this long list of arguments, these reasons that people believe that the election is stolen really just revolve around that one core thing. There's no possible way that Biden could have won. Yeah. Um, so I think if we're going to start chatting about the evidence, the best place for us to start is by addressing Linda's direct question. Right. What happened as November 3rd turned to, into November 4th, 2020? Mm -hmm. Many folks went to bed looking at a map covered in red and woke to hear that Joe Biden was likely to be our next president. And this felt really hard for some folks to accept. Yeah. And it led to some of those first whispers of clandestine movements in the midnight hour. Wait, hold on. Time out. I would like to say here that this is not actually the first whispers of, of election fraud from Trump. I would, oh, like, no. I would like to remind our studio audience that when Trump lost in the primaries to, was it Ted Cruz, I oh, think? probably. I can't remember who he lost to. I'm, I think it was Cruz. But he accused Cruz. Uh, or the, who, the person he lost to, he, he accused uh, them of committing election fraud then. So very, very, very early on in the campaign, Trump was laying the groundwork, and Trump's yes. presidency rather, Trump was mm -hmm. laying the groundwork for this idea of election fraud. Right, the idea that he could not possibly lose, and if he did lose, then something was wrong. And Correct. Again, just note that like when we talk about that, he's not trying to convince people who are going to vote for anybody but him mm -hmm. that this is the case. The purpose of that narrative was to reinforce to Trump voters right. that if he lost, then it must have been stolen from him because he was relying on that base to come out in support of him if something did happen or to come out even harder in support of him to prevent something like that from happening. Right. It wasn't because he genuinely believed that he could convince somebody who was going to vote for Andrew Yang or Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden that if he didn't win, something had been stolen from him. Right. But no, this was the first time that we had heard about uh, these supposed midnight movements, these things that right. happened overnight on election night from truckloads of ballots being dropped off to... Uh, people pulling them out from under tables. Right. Yeah. Et cetera. Of, of course. Um, and there is uh, one very particularly damning error that occurred. Um, perhaps you remember it when I think it was in Wisconsin, Joe Biden's numbers were like trailing <laughs> yeah. a little behind Trump's. And then there was like a straight vertical line. And then it was like, oh, OK, how did you know, how did he jump up like? however thousands of many votes straight vertically at one moment um did you i don't think you talked about that so i don't want to cover that no i didn't i didn't but, include it in this one but it is in that we did an episode right after 
the election. Right. Um, and it got season chaotic. one, episode 10. And we talked about that in great detail about how literally somebody just mistyped. It yeah. was a clerical error that yeah. just got broadcast across the country on a bunch of screens and all over Twitter. And it was just a huge mess because somebody fat fingered their 10 key. Yep. And that's like literally what happened. And if you go back and you look at the official data now, like that spike is gone because it yeah. never happened. The, the, the data looks way more real because it is real now. It's real. Um, no. Yeah. So we talked about that a bit in our first episode after the election. And like Robin said, that one is called uh, <laughs> What the Hell is Happening? Sorry. WTH is Happening because our yeah. titles are family friendly ish. Yes. Um, yes. Eh, mostly. I think all of our titles are. Mm, there's one that very specifically mentions P tapes. And that's oh, that's probably difficult yeah. to explain to your toddler. <laughs> that is fair okay so all but one (laughs) all but one of our titles is Um, family friendly yeah so but and that's where we basically discuss how the the situation was far less sexy uh than the stories being told about trucks dumping pre-marked ballots at back doors and unmarked vans transporting thousands of illicit votes in the night um, most of the big shift that happened overnight was actually due to good old fashioned bureaucracy, um, oh, right. to boring state and local rules about how mail in early and absentee ballots could be counted. Um, there were only 17 states where those votes could be processed and counted before election date. So in the remaining states that had these these different types of voting, mail-in and, and absentee and whatnot, they had to wait until election day had ended to begin to begin counting these other elections. Mm-hmm. In 16 other states, um, those votes could be counted alongside in-person votes on election day, uh, but there were a lot of them, a lot of those votes, and it took quite a long time to process through them. And those states included... I almost said Wisconsin, which is not a state, (laughs) Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Um, Some of these very hotly contested results, you know, that came in uh, sometimes some of them months after the election. And then in the remaining 17 states, uh, those votes couldn't be counted, like I said, until after the polls closed on election night. In those states, the processing of early and absentee votes lagged really, 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 really far behind the in-person vote tally. And something to keep in mind is one of the reasons they lagged behind is oftentimes this required humans to count um, because you have to open the envelopes and unfold and actually process these things. Um, and humans need breaks and they have to go home and there are labor laws regarding how you can (laughs) work somebody. Um, So not only were they slow counters, but, you know, they were sent home after a certain amount of time to sleep and eat and told to come back. Right. Um, So at this point, you might be asking why it matters when the votes were processed. Votes are votes, right? And they all get counted. And yes, timing won't affect which votes come in. But in this case, the timing can really influence how we see the results roll in. 
in our very early episode discussing vote-by-mail programs, we talked about the party affiliation breakdown of both in-person and mail-in votes. And we noted that in previous years, there was no conclusive evidence that vote-by-mail programs heavily favored one party or the other. But an interesting shift happened between the study's conclusion in 2018 and the 2020 election. Republicans, especially Donald Trump, began working really hard to undermine trust in vote-by-mail and early voting programs. Because, um, you know, in previous years before this, well, before the study and even after, there was this idea that vote-by-mail programs leaned heavily Democrat. And even when there was evidence to show that that was not the case, that public opinion still persisted. So uh, the Republican Party and Donald Trump worked really hard to try to keep people from voting by mail and voting early because they wanted to reinforce this idea that that it was untrustworthy, that they wanted to keep um, they wanted to keep the Democratic votes that they thought would come rolling in because of that from making it to the polls. Mm-hmm. And it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Republican voters absolutely listened to them. So when vote by mail and absentee options opened up significantly because of the COVID pandemic, it was only the blue voters who took advantage of the opportunity. Right. Red voters came out in force on election day instead. MIT's election lab tells us that 60% of Democrats voted by mail in the 2020 election, while just 30% of Republicans did. So by convincing everybody that vote-by-mail programs were untrustworthy and unsafe, they essentially kept all of the red voters out of the vote-by-mail programs. Right. So when you rewind what happened as the vote counts you know, filled our screens that night, it doesn't seem too far-fetched. In, in most states, the first votes we saw represented on screen were in-person election day votes. They were counted first and easiest to tally. Votes that those votes skewed heavily red because of a, a, I don't know if I want to call it propaganda, but at least a disinformation campaign. It's a loaded word. It was, it at, at least it was a disinformation campaign about the safety of mail-in voting, about the reliability, about its potential for fraud. We discussed that in the, the uh, mail-in voting episode. Um, and we've discussed voter fraud in a few of our earlier episodes as well. Uh, suffice it to say, in a very short summation, there has never been voter fraud committed at a level large enough to affect a national election. There's never, it's never happened. We've never found any evidence of that. And it would take an entire more than a village. It would take literally a nation of people to execute fraud on that level. It really would. Um, We'll get into a little bit about that when we talk about auditing here in a second. So as the night went on, we saw more of those absentee early and mail-in votes pop up on the board. They started being counted, but there were a lot and it would still be hours before the bulk of those votes would be processed and counted. So while we all slept those votes were counted and total shifted from red to purple and finally to blue in some really crucial places. Now, we should point out here, the shift was not unexpected. Uh, Again, it was predicted. 
I distinctly remember listening to the, the, the talking heads that be say, what we're going to see is a red wall and then a blue shift as votes get counted and, and places start to switch. Um, and that was always couched in uncertainty. They weren't you know, saying it's absolutely certain it's going to happen. So right. don't mistake what I'm saying. They said most likely what's going to happen is we're going to see places that came in red on election day turn blue as the votes that came in previous by mail finally get counted and tallied. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was many, many statisticians and political analysts expected this change to happen. And while they couldn't predict the outcome of the election, like I said, with certainty, they could ac absolutely model the move from red to blue votes as states began to process their absentee votes. Um, that was Stranger Elections, season one, episode mm -hmm. eight, that we talked about that. We talked about how... Season two, episode eight. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Season two, episode eight, uh, where we talked about how a really diverse group of people came together to spread information on how elections work, including educating TV presenters on what to expect from the numbers on election night. I actually, until we started doing this episode, forgot how many times we've talked about this election and the nuances around mm -hmm. this election and why we can have faith in what happened. There's actually a lot of resources that we've pulled together on this. Yeah. Um, so this, this seemingly impossible shift, again, the only people who thought it was, who, who thought it was impossible were the people who were only listening to very specific news sources for their information. Mm -hmm. And they had a, shall we say, motive for pushing a narrative like that. They, yeah. they really had a lot to gain. These people had a lot to gain by convincing people that this is how it was going to happen, like that, that it was impossible for something like this to happen. Right. So. Yeah. We talked. So, I, I just wanted to say, if you haven't listened to our episode on filter bubbles on on bias in the media, uh, we talk oh, about yeah. it with the Jelaine Maxwell uh, case. Uh, that would be a great episode to listen to for like how that works and how you end up with a very restricted diet of information. I keep saying diet with a very restricted, <laughs> um, it's because I'm hungry, a very restricted intake of information um, from sources that are probably very closely aligned in yeah. their ideologies. And spoiler alert, it's not, again, it's not a, a moral judgment or an accusation. It's not we're definitely not calling anybody who finds themselves in that trap dumb for being there. It is no. all, it is everything but consciously intentional. It yeah. is it, listen to the episode. It happens right. even if you are trying to avoid it. Yes. So yeah, absolutely. You are um, in that media bubble or that filter just, bubble. It just is what it, it is because the internet is what it is. Yeah. I mean, you have to work really hard to stay out of it. But generally, we find that, like you said, the folks who ended up surprised the day after Election Day were folks who probably spent a good portion of the campaign season in one of those bubbles. Yeah. Um, another tick on our not stolen checklist 
comes courtesy of the huge number of audits that took place to validate the election results after they came in. Before the 2020 elections, most people, myself included, had no idea what an election audit was, let alone how they functioned. After the 2020 election, well, I'd argue that most people still don't actually know what audits are or how they work, frankly, because what we get is interpreted uh, perspective on that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people definitely think they know. So we'll clear this one up for you as well. First things first, there are multiple types of election audits. There are legal audits and access audits and process audits and product or equipment audits. There are post-election audits, risk-limiting audits, hybrid post-election audits. The list goes on and on and on. Yeah, most of these are fairly bureaucratic procedures that likely aren't very interesting for the purposes of this discussion. Um, I read a lot about audits reading this part and... Let me tell you, it just really made me happy that I was no longer in banking or financial investigations. Um, So very quick breakdown on on what these things are, just because you need to know what they are and you need to know that they are commonplace when it comes to our elections. These things are, are set up, they are in place, and they have been since long before the 2020 election. Um, legal audits assess whether an election was in compliance with all applicable laws and that the laws were implemented as intended. Access audits make sure a given election complied with relevant state and federal laws, um, including the Americans with Disabilities Act. They're literally audits to make sure that the people who should be able to vote can, in fact, vote. Um, these also these audits, they also ensure the, uh, the in- enfranchisement of all qualified voters. Um, process audits ensure that, well, that the, the processes for a given operation, like, say, literally like the standing in line and the direction by the people at the poll and like how that is done that process when you cast a vote on election day conform to predetermined standards to ensure that the process is efficient that it's not unnecessarily biasing things those are the people that kind of go around and take tape measures to make sure that you know campaign signs are x number of feet away from the voting location (laughs) right very very enthralling stuff Um, But perhaps a couple of the most important audit procedures are the product or equipment audits and the the post-election audits. And we'll talk about those separately. Um, the, The product or equipment audits examine whether software or other equipment conforms to requirements and performance standards, which sounds really, really boring, but actually means a lot in this particular election, because you have probably heard of a little business called Dominion Voting at this point, especially if you think that the election was stolen. Um, So these audits, these audits look at those voting machines, the all voting machines, but especially like Dominion voting machines to determine whether or not they were, say, switching votes, whether or not they were operating as they should and weren't impacting, affecting, biasing, or otherwise stealing an election. 
Um, and despite the claims of Dominion machines deleting votes or incorrectly recording votes for Biden in lieu of Trump, there has been no evidence that we can find, no evidence provided to support these claims of widespread fraud. And these, the, the claimants, the people who believe that Dominion did uh, uh, steal the election or play a role in doing that, have had the chance to provide this evidence in court several times. And in fact, just today, mm -hmm. uh, Fox News lost their, uh, well, the day of recording, excuse me, that would be uh, the Friday before the Monday that this was published, um, Friday the 17th, I think, they, Fox lost a motion to dismiss a lawsuit that Dominion had filed for defamation against Fox um, mm -hmm. for their role in perpetuating the 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 lie that Dominion was um, was helping steal votes, helping help to steal the election, and so they actually they have to go through with this court case, as far as I can tell, they, um, and they will have to provide evidence for their claims to prove that it's not defamation and that it is in fact a factual statement. And I would be willing to bet you my eye teeth that they're not gonna be able to provide that evidence. And that's because these machines were audited. They had to be looked at before, during, and after the election. Absolutely. Defamation, slander, libel, those are my favorite. Those are my absolute favorite court cases because they are so incredibly difficult to actually win. They're very hard to win. Very hard. Yes. And I think Dominion is actually going to win one, which is yeah. pretty fantastic. Um, in one county in Michigan, there was a temporary issue where voting machines erroneously reported unofficial results from Antrim County that showed that Biden was winning the usually red county by some 300 votes. No, it was 3,000. Oh, geez. By some 3,000 votes. Yeah. This was a result not of the machine itself misfunctioning, but it was a result of the Antrim County clerk failing to update the software that was used to collect voting machine data and report, again, unofficial results. These are just the first results that we see. They haven't been certified. They haven't been validated. They're just unofficial results. It's basically what gets pushed to the media so the media can give vote updates and keep you enthralled right. all night. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that come with the asterisk mm -hmm. that said maybe these are just pulling. Yeah. Yeah. Pulling data. So it was the software that collected the information from the Dominion machines and reported that for unofficial results that had an error. The actual votes were counted and reported correctly by the Dominion machines, but the software that the county clerk uses to combine information from the tabulation machines was out of date. This error was caught quickly and rectified quickly. However, even if they hadn't caught the error, that discrepancy would have been identified during the county canvas because the actual vote totals were originally recorded correctly by the Dominion machines in the first place. These county canvases are completed by the bipartisan Board of County Canvassers in Antrim County, yeah. Michigan. Say that five times fast. Um, so, yeah, like what this basically what the machines would do is you would submit your vote and they would periodically spit out a little piece of paper and bundle with the votes on it. And it literally that you would have like a paper copy of the vote totals so that you could then go back and 
audit the election, check the results, and make sure that that was accurate. Um, and when comparing the actual output from the Dominion machine to the output from the device that gave unofficial results, the, the laptop, if you will, um, they noticed that the laptop was wrong, like way off. <laughs> and in fact, uh, the, the clerk who noticed it noticed it because he's like, wait, like Biden's not winning in this county. There's no <laughs> way. Why are they up 3000? And he asked, he did his job. He asked questions and he got to the bottom yeah. of it. Um, and sure enough, Biden was not winning in that county. <laughs> I think Trump was actually up by like 2000 or something and, and it right. flipped and they fixed it. Um, and this leads us to the most important, the most important audit for a discussion of the 2020 election. Uh, and the post-election audit. Some 43 states provide for a type of post-election audit. And these are the audits that you've been hearing about for the last year. Mostly, mostly. Um, now, traditional post-election audits examine a, like a defined percentage of voting districts or machines and compare the paper record uh, to the results produced by the voting system. So they, they look at the paper ballots and they go, okay, there's X votes for this guy and Y votes for this guy. And they look at what the machine is reporting to make sure that those are copacetic. Everything is in alignment there. Um, so that means that even, even if there were a conspiracy to use voting machines to cheat an election, the discrepancy would almost certainly be caught in at least the 43 states that already had provisions in place to check for check for these things before the 2020 election 12 states have implemented piloted or uh, provided options for a second type of post-election audit which they call a risk limiting audit now these don't rely on examining a fixed percentage to provide confidence in the election results. They take what is known as a statistically significant sample and ensure that if there were errors, there weren't enough that they would change the outcome. So even if there were votes that were recorded incorrectly, there were only four of those and the guy who won won by 400. So right it's not going to be anywhere close to enough to actually change the outcome. Because in the end, in the end, statistically speaking, the individual vote doesn't matter as much as the actual vote balance at the end of the day. And because of that, we can use statistics and modeling and other black magic mathematics to figure out if something looks accurate. We can take, if we do enough of an examination of enough of the ballots, we can go, okay, we can have faith that the report that we're getting on the vote, on the winner, is, is in fact accurate. This person did, in fact, win. Um, if the, the margin of victory in these things are, are particularly close or enough discrepancies are found, if it's like, wow, there's 349 uh mislabeled votes here and the guy only won by 400 maybe we should like <laughs> really take a close look here um, then it escalates the audit a step further and then the paper ballots are reviewed until either the required level of confidence has been met or a full hand recount has been completed they just remove the possibility or 
they limit it very severely of uh, of an of a computer error and count it all by hand. Right. Other states have a hybrid model that combines both that traditional and risk-limiting audits. In Arizona, specifically, again, one of these hotly contested states, election officials must examine ballots from 2% of the precincts or voting centers. If this examination fails to meet the state audit board's margin for error, then the audit escalates. And then they just repeat that until the margin is satisfied, or again, you count every single ballot. Uh, You noticed we never mentioned something called a forensic audit anywhere in this discussion of all the different audit types. And that's because forensic audits, audits, they aren't a thing. At least they haven't been until the 2020 election. That term doesn't have a widespread definition. And that's not to say that it couldn't eventually be a thing, but there really has been no need. And arguably, there still isn't a need. Because as far as we've seen up to this point, the forensic audits performed haven't revealed anything. Yeah. All, all After all of the hubbub, um, cyber ninjas who did the, <laughs> the forensic audit in Maricopa County, very problematic company in its own right, they ended up agreeing with the official Maricopa yeah. County canvas results and even ended up saying... This is what blew my mind. They even ended up saying that Biden won by more votes than the official results revealed. They actually ended up taking votes away from Trump. So, <laughs> yeah. That's the opposite and, of the goal of that. <laughs> yeah, and, and and gave Biden some more. Um, they also seem to find that that the duplicate ballots in the election favored Republican candidates like Trump and <laughs> Martha McSally and even independent candidate Joe Jorgensen. So according to Cyber Ninjas, when people did commit voter fraud, when they did submit multiple ballots, they did so in favor of the Republicans. Um, and that, that take that with a grain of salt, honestly. If, if you take that audit at face value, it's an interesting piece of, of minutia of information. But I really don't think that you should take anything that cyber ninjas has to say at face value (laughs) there were problems with their audit there were a lot of problems it wasn't controlled the way that it should be they were looking for weird weird things i heard tales of looking for bamboo fibers in the ballots because the ballots were chinese fakes which it's just a really, really racist assumption. Yeah, that's like super racist. Like, And somebody's probably going, well, how's that racist? It's bamboo and Chinese. It makes the assumption that China can't make paper. Like right. that Chinese made stuff would naturally have bamboo in it because bamboo is also Chinese. That's racist, guys. That's right. It that's also grows racist. all over the United States. Seriously. I live in Missouri and there are people who have bamboo fences. Like, yeah. It takes over. Please, please don't plant bamboo. It go, it goes crazy. It does. <laughs> PSA. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the we might cover it at some point. I again really don't know if it's worth our effort. Uh, but that whole Cyber Ninjas audit was fraught with problems and bias from the beginning. You probably should not pay any attention to it at all. But I wanted. <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> Uh, somebody uh, ninja just got me uh i wanted to bring it up because it's so so well known 
Yeah. And we're going to see more rigmarole, more circus acts from cyber ninjas and like-minded actors trying to prove something that inherently is unprovable. Right. And that's like, that is a perfect example of why we have not covered this topic until now. We really did want to give it room to breathe because we knew that as time went on, more and more information would become available on all of the concerns that were presented immediately following the election. And if there's one thing that we like around here, it's information. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We get the benefit of time and distance from the election, which makes it easier to support the idea that the election has not been stolen. And why? Like, why is why does that time and distance make it easier? Well, that's because we get the great force multiplier of literally tons of other people investigating it. Right. We're not the only ones. Right. Far from it. And this is like, <laughs> one, we're not really investigating. We're also not doing true research. We are gathering and aggregating other people's information, which Matter is a thing. Research. It's a skill. Just want to... Make it clear, though. Um, An Associated Press review, this is an actual investigation. An an Associated Press review of every potential case of voter fraud in the six battleground states disputed by Trump found fewer than 475 cases of voter fraud. This is way too small to have had any impact on the 2020 election. It's just even if they were all happened in one state, the margin of victory for Biden in these states was was more than 400 or sorry, more than 475 cases. It just was. Yeah. Um, AP's investigation also found no collusion intended to rig the voting. Um, and I hate using the word collusion after that <laughs> whole fiasco, uh, which if you don't know what I'm talking about, bless you. Uh, don't. It, it's a nightmare. We have an episode on it. Don't look it up. Uh, do look up our episode. Uh, almost, almost every case of fraud was based on an individual acting alone to cast additional ballots. AP's investigation took months and covered more than 300 local election offices. It's one of the most comprehensive examinations of suspected voter fraud in the 2020 election. Um, the information from these local offices, by the way, it means that officials had to reconcile their ballots and account for discrepancies. It also included a handful of separate cases by secretaries of state and state attorneys general. Like it was very, very thorough, very methodical and bupkis. I basically turned up bupkis. And just in case, like just in case the AP feels a little bit too left leaning for you, the conservative Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty released its own review of the 2020 election, also finding no evidence of widespread fraud. And there's a caveat to that, which is that they assert that the Democrats still lost because the amount of votes that were cast didn't comply with legal requirements. However, there are several failed lawsuit attempts that refute that particular claim as well, which the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty should know because they have been party to several of them. But they did find that there was no evidence of this widespread cooperative fraud. Right. That's just two, you know, from both sides, if you will, uh, examples. There are others. We really don't think it's necessary to run down all of them. Um, 
there will be more done. There will be more done by um, people wishing that Trump had won. Yes. And I will bet you money, I really will, that those votes or those investigations, as biased and poorly executed as they will be, if they're anything like the Cyber Ninjas one, they will not find any evidence of widespread voter fraud. There will be no buckets of ballots dropped off in the middle of the night, right. no boxes, no trucks from China, because it didn't happen. It was a lie from the very beginning that was told by one person to his very supportive and, let's be clear, very proud American supporters. Right. That... It was a lie told to them in order to help him do the very thing that he was trying to convince you other people were doing, which is override a fair and just election. It just, that's what it boils down to. And as we, as we close out this episode, we've got one more point to address. We've, we've heard from many on the Trump side that if the situation were reversed, blue voters would be saying the same thing. They would be equally as up in arms. They would be doing the same things and taking the same actions. And sure, that that's a fair assertion. If, if Democrats thought that an election had been stolen from them, they would, of course, be up in arms about it. So let's talk about it for a second. Um, let's consider what we know and knew in advance about the election. You know, we knew that there would be a huge increase in early absentee and mail-in votes due to the COVID-19 pandemic. We knew that Republican politicians and pundits were really driving home the idea that these kinds of votes were unsafe, um, that they would lead to widespread fraud. Um, that, and they were encouraging their followers to wait and cast their votes in person. And we know and knew that all the polls predicted a Biden win. The models, polls, and statistical predictions gave us the same general, broad brushstrokes answer. The minutiae varied from poll to poll, and right. some were closer and some were broader. But generally speaking, the people whose job it is to predict these things they were predicting Biden. Yeah, they called it. All the best evidence in advance of the election told us what to expect, and then the results of the election validated that evidence. But had the outcome been different, had all of the most reliable information proved to be false, it would have, to most of us, been an indicator that something somewhere went wrong. There would have been something out of place to look into. And I think it's fair to say that many folks who voted for Biden would have insisted that that investigation be done. Yeah. But the reason that this, this argument doesn't hold water is that Trump supporters had access to all of the same predictive information that the rest of the country had. They had no factual reason to be surprised by the outcome of the election. And yet they still seemed to be. Right. Way, way back in our episode on bias, I guess not way, way back, but earlier this year, um, <laughs> we talked about the concept of cognitive dissonance. And that is the pain that we feel when we have to hold two conflicting truths in our heads at the same time. 
And I think that this tenacity of belief that the election was stolen is evidence of that. Trump supporters truly believed that their position was good and right, and that that belief would lead them to inevitable victory. When that happened, instead of being able to accept that the thing they really believed in was not coming to pass, cognitive dissonance led them to chase any explanation for, for, for that loss that kept, them, that kept them from having to feel the pain of being wrong. And that's what cognitive dissonance does. It forces you to take evidence that is uh, not in support of your beliefs and just reject it out of hand. And this is multiplied by the very long-term efforts of the Trump administration and Republicans at large to discredit anything that does not comport mm -hmm. to their ideas of what should be happening and what is happening. That is why you see them constantly, constantly, constantly berate mainstream media, despite the fact that their biggest media outlet, Fox, is mainstream media. Right. That's cognitive dissonance. You can't say that mainstream media is false and then also only go to mainstream media for your information. It doesn't make sense. OANN is mainstream media, guys. It's small, but it is mainstream. It is produced. It has a whole company. It has massive bankrollers behind it. They're mm -hmm. very extreme on the network. Don't get me wrong. If that is one of your trusted news sources, please reconsider it. I hate to use the phrase, but do your research. Go to, um, there are several actually, AdFonts Media, for example, that rate media producers, newspapers, um, uh, uh, cable news, all of that, and, and rate their bias and where their bias lies and tells you exactly where they fall on a truth and, and fiction scale and liberal and conservative. We, I use that almost every episode when I pull up an article or a news clipping or something that I'm not sure where it's coming from. And I want to double check and make sure that I'm not getting an article accidentally from a very extremely biased source. Yeah. So just check that. And if what you are hearing from your trusted sources is being contradicted by several other sources, you don't have to automatically, you know, discard what you believe. But that is, a, that is a signal. That is a flag. Mm -hmm. Look for the patterns across broad samples of information. Every individual story is going to have something that's a little off, a little bias, a fact that they didn't report quite right. Right. That's, that's to be expected because humans write these things and humans are flawed, just like Robin and I are flawed. You want to get several sources of information in and start looking at the patterns across those sources of information. And that means sources right. of information from opposite or different or competing spectrums of, of belief. I could go on about this for a very long time because we are very passionate about this particular topic, yes. which is why we started Fireside to begin with. Yeah. 
And that's why it makes its way into literally every single episode. If we don't talk about a filter bubble or bias in an episode, then well, then we I haven't written an episode, honestly. Yeah. Because those are the two things that so strongly influence the way that we are able to understand these complicated topics. And they are the primary reasons why we have these intractable conversations about them. Um, so all of that to say, that's the reason that we are not coming here to judge people who may be coming to this episode believing that the election was stolen, believing that there was widespread fraud. Because um, I genuinely accept the idea that they were given no information from the, the sources that they trust the most that would allow them to believe that this was a fair election. Right. Absolutely. But if that is you, we are asking you to uh, to maybe take this moment to consider whether or not you have had access to or sought out that information that might um, present you with a conflicting truth mm-hmm. and encourage you to explore the show notes and to examine our sources and find some information that you can dig into. And the best place for you to do that is on firesidebreakdowns.com. Look at that segue. Champion. Champion. I'm very proud of you, Robin. Thanks. Your your dog is very proud of you, too. He's also very proud of me. He loves me very much. Uh, no, that, that's firesidebreakdowns.com is the best place for you to find our show notes, to find all of the research that we've done. You can find all of our past episodes, including the ones that we've mentioned in this episode. I think we have mentioned four or five past episodes yeah. in this episode. They will all be linked in our show notes and they're all available on our website. Yep. While you're there, you can find links to our social media accounts. That is one of the ways that Linda found us. We are so excited that she did. And we've had the opportunity to chat with her a little bit on social media, which is great. Yes. Happy. And very happy to have you. I cannot, yes. I cannot express that enough. Thank you. Right. Thank we are, we are overwhelmingly excited because um, very often we hear from people who think very closely to the way that we think. And one of our overarching goals with this podcast is to reach people who don't think the same way that we think. And mm-hmm. so we're very excited to be able to have those conversations. Also on firesidebreakdowns.com, you will find a link to our Patreon account. So if you would like to go and listen to the awesome song that is our dance break from this episode, you'll be able to do that with our patrons only playlist. You can also choose to support us in our effort to hire a professional editor because if you've watched the YouTube version of this, you understand how many times we mess up and how much time it takes to go and edit all of the, uh, the tripping over our tongue and almost sneezes. And professionals, we are not professionals by any means. <laughs> um, so John puts a lot of work in every week to make us sound like intelligent and coherent individuals who um, know what we're talking about. Woo. <laughs> we would love to hire a professional to do that. Yes, we would. To make us yes, sound even would. smarter. Yes, we would. So, um, and if there's one, if there's one thing that you could do, if you're not comfortable giving us money, totally understand. We get it. We, we, we hope you consider it moving forward. But if that's not your jam, the one call to action we have for you, our listeners, every week, please leave us a review on your podcasting app of choice, whether that is, uh, you know, iTunes, that would be great. If your app doesn't let you leave a review, do it on our Facebook page. You can leave it there. 
but we need those reviews to to attract people to our show and if we don't get people attracted to the show then these conversations that we have don't get out to the people that we would really like to hear them um so please i'm begging you leave us a review yes you know what i'm begging for what's that some good news hell yeah <laughs> so the good news this week it might seem controversial but bear with me here on this because i really do think it is good news the good news this week is about the house select committee investigating the january 6th insurrection at least from our perspective it seems like they are finally beginning to put out information to the public about what happened that day and not just calling people in for interviews and and you know referring them for indictments it's it's actually producing product now that we can see and read and evaluate for ourselves. Um, now, we did talk about the formation of that committee some time ago, and I would just like to point out here again that if you are one of the people that thinks that it is not valid because it only has two Republicans and they are two Republicans that are outspokenly anti-Trump, Republicans shot down an independent commission to handle the investigation, which wouldn't have had parties on it at all. Um, and then they tried to put three people who had actually voted to decertify this election on the commission, which would have fairly obviously been a major conflict of interest if you think about that at all. Um, especially, especially since we know that one of those uh, supposed or... Uh, potential members, there we go, was Jim Jordan, Mr. I can't wear a suit jacket in Congress. It pisses me off every time. He was <laughs> communicating with White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows about just simply throwing electoral votes that Pence, which probably means Trump and the Republicans at large, deemed unconstitutional, just throwing those out because they didn't like how those votes came to be, which as we have discussed and as we've kind of laid out here, there's no evidence to suggest that those votes were wrong, were incorrect, um, were the result of fraud like uh, the Trump administration was claiming. So such a unilateral decision was not and is not in the vice president's power, as far as we can tell. <laughs> um, regardless, that is why the committee only has two Republicans on it. So don't get it twisted that this is some Pelosi play or that this is, you know, she tried for this. There was multiple good faith attempts to get a, uh, a neutral or at least equally representative panel. Um, yeah. But it seems like the committee really is dedicated to doing a thorough and responsible job in getting to the bottom of things. And we'll, we'll see more um, as, and as these things come to light, um, we will be able to evaluate how the committee is working if they're being efficient more uh, more effectively but even if they are biased all right this is very important even if they are biased which i'm not saying they are it is good news that americans are finally starting to get a picture of what was happening on capitol hill that day and that we're getting hard documents and information about mm -hmm. it things that we can read for ourselves that's the good news. There is more transparency about that nightmare, more clarity coming out, and 
hopefully soon enough, a potential resolution to that very embarrassing day in American history. I think that is yes. phenomenal news. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. I'm glad you agree. Anyway, that is it for us this week. I've got to take a nap because Robert and I stayed up watching the Chiefs game instead of recording this, and we are both very tired. (laughs) (laughs) Robin's got a a basketball game to go to, and I don't want her missing that. Um, So until next week, thank you very much. We are all very happy that you are here. If you celebrate this week, Merry Christmas. I would also like to say Happy Hanukkah. We we missed that a couple of weeks Absolutely ago. Absolutely missed it. And we are very sorry for that. Um, it's December and crazy for all of us. So forgive us. We'll do better in the future. Um, but please enjoy some time with your families. And as always, take care of each other. <laughs>